everything is consciousness. Whether we realize it or not, we are in constant interconnectivity with everything else. It's time to turn everything on its head because we'd be looking at the world upside down. When you look at all the big pieces of evidence about the nature of consciousness, the nature of reality, every bit of this has to do with maturing and growing to a higher level of knowing who we are, why we're here, and where this is all headed. That was cosmologist Dr. Jude Caravan and Dr. Eben Alexander. This episode is meant to put everything you've heard for the last seven episodes in context. What does it all mean? Before we get into it, let me remind the listener of this. Even though we've learned a ton this season, there's still so much we don't know. We're just in the beginning of understanding this consciousness stuff. The more I learn, the more I feel like I know almost nothing. Here's the plan for this episode. We'll look at what all this stuff means for our lives, our societies, and our future. For instance, what does our theory of consciousness predict about artificial intelligence? Next, if we're all entangled, how much impact are we having on each other and the world around us? Plus, who really are we? What does our theory of consciousness imply about our own identity? Where do religion and spirituality fit into all this? What are the answers to the top two questions remaining in all of science? And finally, is there reason for hope? This is the season finale of Where Is My Mind? I'm Mark Gober. We've looked at a wide range of phenomena on this show. Savants, psychedelics, telepathy, remote viewing, precognition, near-death experiences, the life review, and consciousness after the death of the body. We mentioned all these amazing cases not to freak people out, but rather to give memorable and perhaps surprisingly credible pieces of evidence across multiple areas. Our point has been, if any of this is real, even one aspect, then we all need to rethink reality. Is there one piece of evidence that stands out to you as being the most significant? I like the way Dr. Larry Dossey answers that question. I don't think there's any single killer experiment that proves that minds are united, that they're unified, I think it is something much more convincing than that. It's a collective arrow from many, many thousands of experiments in several areas that point in this direction. I totally agree with Dr. Dossey. All I can say is the accumulated evidence for me and others who have looked at this points more strongly in the direction of the one mind than any other direction. But as I said in the beginning, we're just getting started with our understanding of consciousness. As new data comes in, maybe our view will change or become refined. Major changes are usually preceded by an obvious catalyst. For instance, like the polio vaccine wasn't invented until polio was a massive crisis. Do you see a major event on the horizon that will force us to look at this issue of consciousness and examine our misunderstandings? How about artificial intelligence? Okay, now you're talking. There's a philosophical debate in science about AI, whether it will eventually overtake humanity. The theory is robots will become so advanced that they'll develop feelings and emotions, become smarter than humans, and then take over. There's an assumption about consciousness in there. Have you ever seen Westworld, Matt? Yes, I was gonna bring that up because what you're describing is exactly what happens in that show. Good news, Matt. I don't think Westworld is realistic. Actually, that sounds kind of silly now that I'm saying it about a fictional HBO show that isn't real. <laughs> but in our model of consciousness, it just doesn't make sense. Okay, 
But there are lots of smart people, like Elon Musk and Google exec Ray Kurzweil, who are really worried about artificial intelligence. So I think it's a real concern. But people like that are making a big assumption. They're assuming consciousness can be created. Okay, you're going to need to clarify that one for me. They're all assuming if we can create an artificial machine brain that mimics a real brain, consciousness will magically emerge. That assumes that consciousness comes from a brain in the first place. People often aren't even aware they're making that assumption because it's so deeply ingrained as a given. I like the way Dr. Donald Hoffman put it in our interview. He's a cognitive science professor at UC Irvine. No one has been able to give a scientific theory that can explain even one specific conscious experience. So there's nothing on the table. Remember how we started this whole season? You can't touch your mind. How can a physical thing create a non-physical thing? There's nothing on the table. If consciousness isn't made by our brains or by anything physical, then we can't make it. Federico Fagin, one of the original inventors of the microprocessor, has been saying similar things recently. He argues consciousness isn't something we can just make. Dr. Ed Kelly from the University of Virginia spoke with me about Federico Fagin. They are not going to be able to dismiss this guy as somebody who doesn't know about computers. And he takes a very negative view. Sure, artificial intelligence can do lots of useful things. Consciousness is that by which we grasp meaning. And it will never arise in a machine constructed on the principles that underlie today's computers. So do you think the AI doomsday scenarios where machines take over the world, that they're implausible? I agree with Dr. Kelly and Fajin that consciousness will not arise out of artificial intelligence. So I'm not panicking, because first, we need a way better understanding of consciousness. Now, that doesn't mean AI can't be dangerous. I just don't believe a machine can develop consciousness on its own. The danger is the person who makes the machine and the intentions of the person who makes the machine. That's the bigger concern. And that brings us to another big area, Matt. Intentions. What if I told you your mind can physically impact the world around you? How could our thoughts and mindset be viewed in a new context? There are studies out there, actually, that suggest our mind can impact physical matter without touching it. There's a fancy name for this. It's called psychokinesis. There are machines called random number generators. One version is a machine that randomly spits out a zero or a one over and over. You let the machine do this for a long time, and you'll find that over time the machine generates 50% zeros and 50% ones in some random order. Experimenters wondered, if someone tries to mentally will the computer to produce more ones than zeros, will it work? You with me, Matt? Yeah, but that shouldn't happen. How would that even work? What does someone's intention have to do with the machine randomly spitting out numbers? Princeton actually studied this from 1979 to 2007 in a lab founded by the former Dean of Engineering. Brenda Dunn ran the lab. Imagine you're flipping coins, okay? If you flip 10 coins, you'd expect to see by chance five heads and five tails. But of course you wouldn't always see five heads. You might see six heads and four tails. When you do this a thousand times and you end up with 600 heads, and 400 tails, then statistically speaking, something's going on there that can't be explained by chance. But we conducted many millions, uh, tens of millions of trials over the years, and the overall 
output showed a very significant correlation between the operator's pre-stated intention. These correlations with intention were fairly consistent. People willed the machines to change, and the machines changed. All that was different was someone directed their intention to making the machine change. That's it. I spoke with another one of the Princeton researchers, Dr. Roger Nelson. The statistics were strong, and here's why. This small shift would happen only once in a billion times of doing the same experiment if you had only chance operating. There's a tremendous amount of work done to literally ensure no possible mistake. By the way, even a Nobel Prize winner in physics says it's good evidence. Here's Brian Josephson. You look at the probability it could have happened by chance. There's lots of experimental evidence of that kind. Dr. Nelson and his colleagues have taken this a step further, the Global Consciousness Project. This is how it's set up. Random number generator machines are placed all over the world, spitting out zeros and ones all day. They're doing it right now. Dr. Nelson and his colleagues track what happens to the zeros and ones when there is some major global event, like Princess Diana's death or 9-11. This is the big finding. The machines often behave non-randomly during massive global events. Now, unlike the other studies, he's not asking anyone to mentally influence the machines. People don't even know the machines are running. Well, actually, our listeners do now, I guess. Even though there was no intention that the random number generator should change its behavior, it would change its behavior if there was a coherent group consciousness. This is where I really get interested. Let's look at the 9-11 case. What have we learned about consciousness? It's not tied down to linear time. So maybe this won't surprise you. The machines started behaving non-randomly before the first plane hit the tower. Like a global premonition. You're looking at a, a big, fat spike of remarkable activity that begins four or five hours early. And my favorite notion about why that might have happened is that indeed a human, a global consciousness might be able to have a premonition in the same way that, it, that individuals sometimes do. Psychokinesis and precognition. All of this is suggesting, one, if we put our thinking in a similar emotional direction, the world physically changes around us. And two, maybe we have subtle premonitions as a society. All right, so let me ask you a question. If every single person in a basketball stadium is rooting for a player to miss a free throw, are you saying that all of that intention could actually impact the shot? You could write a whole book on the answer to this question, Matt. The short answer, I guess, is maybe, but realistically, you'd probably need a lot of people, both in the stadium and probably outside the stadium, to have the exact same intention at the exact same moment. And also, who knows how precognition fits into this? I don't think we know enough yet. All right, I'm somehow more confused. I'm just trying to wrap my head around how all this could be possible. How can a thought impact something physical? Well, what we've been saying is that everything is just the stream of consciousness. So in fact, nothing is actually solid. Meaning, maybe the world around us can almost be molded by the mind. All right, you're losing me here. Okay, when we started the season, we said we would answer Science Magazine's top two questions remaining in all of science. That's right. What were the questions again? Paraphrasing their number two question, it's, how does the brain make consciousness? 
you know the answer to that now. They've asked the wrong question because the brain doesn't make consciousness in the first place. But that leads us to the bigger question, the number one question in all of science. What is the universe made out of? One last whirlpool, Matt. As Dr. Kastrup said, All reality, ultimately, is just one universal consciousness. There it is. Okay, that doesn't really answer any questions for me. If all reality is consciousness, then what is actually solid? I don't know, this microphone, my chair, this bottle of water, this computer, all of it, it's all solid. We interpret those things as solid, but in reality, they're not. The mainstream view in science is that matter creates consciousness through a brain made of matter, but science doesn't even know what matter is. Matter is made of atoms, right? We tend to think of atoms almost in terms of solid billiard balls, but atoms are actually almost entirely empty space. I spoke with Dr. Jude Curvan about this. She's a cosmologist and author of The Cosmic Hologram. Well, first of all, I think we have to realize how ephemeral what we call the physical universe actually is. As we've drilled down to tinier and tinier and tinier scales, essentially, there's no tiny billiard balls zipping around that all we call reality is essentially, you know, 99.9999999999999% no thingness. Yeah, we just interpret everything as solid, but it's not. I like this quote from physicist Hans-Peter Durr. He says, Matter is not made of matter. Or as physicist Peter Russell said, whatever matter is, it has little, if any, substance. All right, let me try to keep track of your argument here. Our mind is able to affect the world around us, even if we're not trying, because nothing is actually made of anything. Are we on psychedelics? What's happening right now? I need one more spin through quantum physics to explain this. Picture a microscopic tennis ball that will serve as an atom in this analogy. We expect the little tennis ball to behave in a certain way. But here's the thing. The tiny tennis ball behaves differently depending on whether someone is looking at it. Okay, just to be clear, that makes absolutely zero sense. Just by looking at something, it changes? Yeah, it doesn't make sense. But who's to say common sense is how anything works? Lots of science is counterintuitive. Dr. Dean Radin from the Institute of Noetic Sciences recently ran 17 game-changing experiments over eight years. The general study is called the Double Slit Laser Experiment, links in the show notes. Dr. Radin's results suggest the mind really is steering the particle. Small statistical effects again. The bigger point, quantum physics is now pointing towards psychokinesis. Okay. So does this mean I can become Eleven from Stranger Things or a Jedi in Star Wars and start moving stuff around with my mind? Well, there is some evidence that the mind can have big impacts on the physical world. There's macro-psychokinesis in addition to micro-psychokinesis. According to our resident Nobel Prize winning physicist, Brian Josephson, There's evidence for both. It's just really hard to study this stuff, so we're still learning. But the point of this whole section is to show our mind does have an impact on the physical world. Think about what that means. It means your intentions matter. Even if the effects seem small, they could have a ripple effect leading to bigger impacts that we can't even imagine. Well, this actually aligns with what people were saying about the life review. Yeah, your intentions affect the world around you. Let's think big about this. Think about health. 
This is a mind-blowing case right here. A woman named Anita Morjani was dying of cancer after battling it for several years. On her deathbed, she had a transformative near-death experience. She speaks about it all over the world. Aspects of her NDE should sound familiar to our listeners by now. She was immersed in unconditional love, met her deceased father, left her body. She says in her NDE, she knew why she had cancer, because she was judgmental of herself, too often tried to please others rather than speaking her truth, and she sought approval from others. Then she came back to life and something happened. With no change in treatment and seemingly no hope for recovery, her tumors started to shrink. She went from total organ failure to a full recovery. It seems like her mindset shift actually helped cause her remission. And now she's healthy today and her doctors are baffled. Remember in episode seven, we talked about children with birthmarks or physical defects that didn't come from their genetics or their environment? That instead the researchers say a possible third factor is involved? Is it consciousness? We need to understand that third factor if we want to more fully understand medicine. What if there is some role consciousness could play in curing incurable diseases? Science doesn't currently account for the idea that our mind can impact the physical world. How can we not consider it given everything we now know about consciousness? Don't we at least owe it to ourselves to investigate? Also, think about every experiment a scientist conducts. How does the intention or mental state of the scientist impact the experiment itself if intentions affect reality? That's interesting. Think about this for a second, Matt. We don't necessarily need to try to impact the world around us, but maybe we're doing it anyway. Our listeners, just by taking in all this information, does that mean they have shifted the physical reality around them? Have our listeners enriched our collective one mind? I know that was a lot of science to wade through, but one of the questions I get asked most is, where does all this stuff fit in with faith, religion, and spirituality? Let's talk about that after this. Hey, Matt, do you think you know who you are? Yes. I am a 31-year-old Caucasian male with probably undiagnosed ADD. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah, okay. You're Matt. Matt exists in the body I see in front of me right now. A body that has a consciousness, right? Yeah, I guess that's right. But if consciousness is the basis of everything, then our identity is not our body. Our identity is our consciousness. So instead of saying, I am a body that has a consciousness, we'd say, I am a consciousness experiencing the physical world through a body. You are not a person named Matt Ford. You are pure consciousness experiencing the life of the person Matt Ford. Whatever I am, I'm confused. Now you can understand why I was so disoriented when I learned about all this a few years ago. We're not what we think we are. The body is a vehicle for consciousness to have an experience, but the body isn't who we are. We are not a person. We are a consciousness that experiences the person. This is a profound idea, and it might take some time for this to sink in. Yeah. Can we do something to sort of illustrate this? Because I'm, I'm struggling. 
We tend to focus on the world we think we see, and we ignore the thing that's experiencing it all. We focus on the objects around us, but forget the subject that's required to experience the objects. What this show is suggesting is that the consciousness we're all experiencing right now, that's your identity. Your body is just the thing that your consciousness is experiencing. So I said that a few different ways for a reason. To me, this is a revolution bigger than any we've seen, maybe in all of human history. For example, the discovery that the Earth isn't flat or the Copernican revolution, which is that the Earth isn't at the center of the solar system, those were huge revolutions. But they were revolutions in how we look at the world around us, the external world. This revolution here is bigger. It's a revolution in how we look at ourselves. So why do you think this is such a revolutionary idea? We're trying to understand things like outer space, and yet the whole time we haven't even figured out our own identity? That's massive. Why haven't we understood who and what we are? Do we all have amnesia? Let's talk for a second about memory. We rely heavily on our memory. We trust it almost completely to drive our experience. But we sometimes forget how limited our memory is. For example, I don't remember anything from when I was an infant. Presumably my consciousness existed then. Or even if you ask me about what I was doing at this exact minute four years ago, or even exactly one year ago, I might not have an answer. We forget way more than we remember. Okay, I'm with you there. That begs the question, what else do we not remember? Fair warning, we're about to get into some really speculative territory. In the last episode, we saw children with apparent past life memories. Is it possible that others of us have had past lives as well, but simply don't remember? And if there are past lives that we don't remember, does something happen between lives that we also don't remember? Matt, remember Laura Powers, the psychic medium we heard from in the last episode? She told me about her pre-birth memories before entering her body. My first memory is actually of the other side, and it is what I believe to be essentially right before I was born, right into this incarnation. So I have a memory of being surrounded by beings of light, and I was one of those beings, and basically receiving the message that it was my time to go, that I needed to, to go. And, and by that, I, I believe it was meant that I needed to incarnate. It was time for me to come into this life. So I think it's, it's not surprising that I was a little resistant or not wanting to leave this beautiful, lovely place on the other side. We both owe a lot of thanks to Laura, Mark. But do you buy that? Of course, I can't claim to validate other people's personal accounts. But this is why I think it's interesting. Doesn't this sound just like what's reported in NDEs? Without wanting to sound suicidal, I can't wait to go back. Remember in episode five, Dr. Alan Huguenot encountered a being of light who he felt like he knew throughout time. The being is a being I've known before. I've known this energy or this person or this being since the beginning of time. I don't have any memories of past lives or anything like that but I would say I've known this being before, so I've been there. It's like where I came from, I'm home. So he knew this being since the beginning of time, except of course, during his life, amnesia. Then he had an NDE, 
The blindfold was taken off, the veil was lifted, and he was able to access the memory from the broader stream. And as we heard in episode 5, roughly 80% of cardiac arrest survivors don't report an NDE. Is that because they simply don't remember them? Dr. Huguenot also feels like he had a life review, but doesn't remember it. So there I was, and I woke up there, and I'm sure that we had just had the life review, although I don't remember the life review like most uh, near-death experiences remember it, because we were analyzing what I had accomplished, where I'd been, and what I needed yet to do. And that's where we were at, what I can still remember. Now, I don't know if the memories are blocked. Amnesia. Barbara Bartolome had a similar experience. And so I was talking, you know, to this being, and then I also immediately knew outside of my body what my purpose for my life was, whether I designated it or somebody else designated it. I have no idea how I, how I knew what that purpose was, but I knew I hadn't done it yet. And I knew it was really important. And so I knew exactly what it was up there on the ceiling now. When I came back in my body, I didn't remember what it was, but I knew that I had known it. Bartolome said her NDE was the most vivid memory of her entire life. She knew what doctors were saying what and where things were in the hospital room. You heard how well Dr. Huguenot remembers his NDE. But in these specific NDE cases, they don't remember their purpose. So how do some NDEers report all those details, but not the purpose of their existences? How's that possible? Are you doing all this to say there's purpose in our lives, but we're blocked from actually knowing it? Again, all this is extremely speculative, but let's try to piece the data points together. If we accept that reincarnation is real, suggested by Dr. Tucker's evidence, like Ryan and James's previous life memories, and supported by our model of consciousness, I'm guessing there would be a system behind it. It feels far-fetched to say that it would be totally random. The existence of reincarnation would suggest that there's likely some structure underlying it. Like karma? It easily could be, but if karma is real, I bet it's way more complicated than we think. Look back at the life review from episode six, people observing how they acted during their life. Maybe that allows us to learn. It's part of the reincarnation structure, all of which suggests we, consciousness in the vehicle of human bodies, are here to learn and grow and evolve. Maybe that's part of the quote unquote purpose that everyone independently is talking about. It's like we're in school and the life review is grading the test of our life. And then we come back into a new body and learn from our mistakes. That's certainly a theory I've heard at least. So if our purpose is to grow and learn, then why would we forget everything we learned in another life? That seems counterintuitive. Maybe because if we remembered everything, we wouldn't have the same learning experience. So we, as pure consciousness, veil ourselves from ourselves and are almost trying to re-remember our true identity. I've heard it described as the cosmic game of hide and seek. But why would consciousness care about growth? I have no idea. Maybe it's just an inherent quality of consciousness that it naturally seeks to grow itself. I'm not sure we can ever fully understand these things. It's sort of like the concept of infinity. We acknowledge it as a real thing, but we can't actually grasp it. But I keep thinking there's potentially a spiritual element here. Purpose, judgments, growth, karma? These all come up in major religions. And the beings of light we've kept hearing about throughout this whole show kind of sounds like a godlike figure to me. 
Let me ask it this way. Growing up, when I got to know you, you were not a spiritual or religious guy per se. Where do you stand now? Here's how I like to frame my personal exploration. What I'm interested in is, what is the nature of reality? Who are we? And why are we here? Everyone seems to have different definitions for what is spiritual. I can say this, I've been looking for answers to questions about reality, and the answers from science just so happen to be similar to what many spiritual traditions say. Here's an interesting point from Brenda Dunn from the Princeton Lab. Science itself started out as a spiritual enterprise by people who wanted to explore metaphysical questions without being constrained by the established church. And we're in much the same situation now. We still have these big metaphysical questions that are being constrained by the established scientific community. Many of the mystical traditions throughout history, whether it's elements of Buddhism or Vedanta and Hinduism, or even mystical Christianity, Gnosticism, mystical Judaism, Kabbalah, or mystical Islam, Sufism, they all have similar core messages about being part of a united consciousness. So while the ideas on this show might sound radical in Western society in 2019, they're actually ancient. There's a saying, we're not human beings having a spiritual experience, we are spiritual beings having a human experience. Let's switch that around. We're not human beings having a conscious experience, we're consciousness having a human experience. I think that's where I net out philosophically now. Well, back to the being of light for a second. Could that be God? Where does God fit into all this? You're really pushing me, huh, Matt? (laughs) Of course I am. I'm sure everyone listening is asking that same question. God is a charged term. Depending on who you ask, you might get a different definition. My view, the evidence points toward an interconnected, entangled stream of consciousness, a one mind. The key point is that there's no separation between us in this idea. Maybe the full stream, the one mind, is the equivalent of what some people mean by God. Look, Matt, I'm saying all this because you asked the question, but I'm really squeamish on this topic. I don't like using religious language. Before I started on this path myself, I was so resistant to anything that sounded religious. So I'm sensitive about turning people away. But you asked. It's sort of like you're kind of backing into spirituality, even though that wasn't really your goal. Yeah, reluctantly so. I used to think spiritual people were just using faith to rationalize their lives. I never thought there was real truth to it. I was wrong. There's one last question. I want to know what we should do with all this information. That's where I want to go next, right after this. All right, Mark, you still haven't really answered. What are we supposed to do with all this information? A lot of this comes back to the life review. Did we treat ourselves and each other with love to the best of our ability? Did we follow the golden rule? When you look at life differently and act accordingly, so much can change. How we treat each other is what matters. We're not separate. We're all part of the one mind, the one stream of consciousness. What if the problems we see in the world today all stem from the widespread belief in separation? We've looked at the unproven belief system that the brain creates consciousness. That model is sometimes called a materialist 
worldview. It implies that we're all separate, that when we die it's over, and there is no real meaning to life. To paraphrase philosopher B. Allen Wallace, mainstream science is asking us to wager everything on the belief that consciousness is a product of the brain. And that has dire consequences. Dr. Jeff Kripal is a professor of religion at Rice University, and he summed it up well. I don't see how we can build a culture or a community or a meaningful life if we took materialism seriously. Because really what it says at the end of the day is there is no meaning, everything is dead, and it's pointless. And those are all descriptors of essentially a suicidal personality. I think it's really destructive. That right there is the toxic worldview being espoused by much of our education system today. Whether people acknowledge it this way or not, that's what's implied by the model that the brain creates consciousness. Here's what philosopher Rupert Spira says. The evidence is all around us, that, that, that it, is, it is failing us in terms of personal happiness, in terms of our relationship with the earth, in terms of the relationship between communities and nations. Just that should be enough to make us question the fundamental paradigm that underpins our world culture. But of course, on this show, we're uncovering the evidence that this worldview is wrong. But there is hope. We seem to be close to turning some kind of corner. In episode three, I mentioned the 2018 paper by Dr. Etzel Cardenia from Lund University in Sweden. It was published in American Psychologist, the official peer-reviewed academic journal of the American Psychological Association. The study covers statistics on decades of research for precognition, telepathy, remote viewing, and even small-scale psychokinesis like we talked about earlier. It's a breakthrough for a major journal to accept it. We've included a link to the article in the show notes. And check out what Dr. Cardenia told me about the process for getting the article published. I wasn't expecting that they would even consider it. But I thought, well, before I send it to another journal, let me try it. What happened is that I got an editor that I think and some reviewers that were very tough, very demanding, but they were honest. They told me repeatedly, listen, we know that we are requiring more of you than we would require of other papers. Took many months going back and forth. So it was a long process. So the journal looked at this closely, required more of him than they typically do, and they still accepted the paper. This is huge, huge news, and it gives me so much hope, actually. That's wonderful. So now what? I alluded to this in episode six, and it's worth saying again. When we look at the world's problems, I say they aren't fundamentally because of certain bad individuals. The problem is a collective misunderstanding of reality. We don't understand that we're all living in the one mind. We've become collectively ignorant about the nature of reality and who and what we are. In many cases, we're unknowingly ignorant, like I had no clue any of this stuff even existed. I wasn't trying to be ignorant, I just had no exposure. The belief that the brain creates consciousness isn't just a harmless scientific theory. It might not only be incorrect, but it actually could be the cause of our downfall as a species if we don't wake up. I don't think that's an exaggeration. Author and consciousness researcher, Dr. Larry Dossey, put it well. If you look around the earth, most of the disagreements and wars are based upon my tribe against your tribe. So it's individual against individual, whether we're talking about single humans or 
nations and religions and so on, I don't think we're going to be able to survive that kind of ongoing animosity. Focus on the fundamental nature of consciousness and the oneness between living things is crucial to whether or not our species is going to make it on this planet or not. Dr. Jan Holden, NDE researcher from the University of North Texas, summarized the implications. If we just lived from a place of interconnectedness. Think what a different world we would live in if everyone made their decisions on that basis. It creates a kind of compulsion to be mindful in every moment of the loving quotient of what I'm choosing to do. A compulsion to act well towards others. Daniel Brinkley said in episode six, when we have our life reviews, what do we hope to see? I want to replace something we heard from philosopher Rupert Spira in episode six. Imagine if any two characters in conflict were to discover that the person with whom they were in conflict was their very own self, not similar to or the same as their very own self, but their very own self, that they were two facets of the same infinite and indivisible being. That discovery alone, in my opinion, must be the foundation of world peace. In a world so heavily driven by fear, this is a message we should all take seriously. The implications can't get any bigger for human civilization and the planet. Simply put, that's the reason we did this podcast. We're almost out of time here. And I want to say one thing before Mark wraps us up. I think I owe it to you, the listener, to let you know where I stand as the often confused skeptic slash sidekick. At this point, I'm 100% positive the brain isn't the only thing making our conscious experience. I did not believe that before I began working with Mark. I believe our consciousness is not created by our body based on a lot of the evidence presented. And I believe generally in the idea of the one mind. Look, I'm not sure exactly if everything we discussed is real, but to me, what's real isn't the point of this show. Mark just said it, the implications are huge. The thing I believe most of all is we have no idea how wide ranging the impact of our misunderstanding of consciousness might be. And that's what I keep coming back to. We have to be humble enough to accept that we just don't have all the answers. Sure, it's possible Mark's wrong about a few things. It's possible he's wrong about a lot of things. But what if you and I are sitting on the other side of one of the truly massive revolutions in thinking? What an opportunity for us to improve the human condition. I, for one, would like to be on the right side of history. Way back in episode one, we talked about how revolutionary these ideas are. This, I think, potentially represents a revolution. I think we're very close to a tipping point where the culturally shared view of the nature of reality is about to flip over. And I personally think that could have a lot of good consequences for society at large. There's no question there's a gigantic revolution coming to this world. And I believe it's a revolution that's really been about 5,000 years in the making. I would like to share especially that every bit of this discussion is very good news. 
So, listeners, what do you think? I remember when I first learned of all the big questions we addressed on this show, my first thought was, if this is real, that means most of the world is walking around in a zombie state, completely oblivious to what's actually going on. And it meant, for me, that most of my life was in a zombie state. That was a hard pill to swallow. But once we awaken from the slumber, we start asking ourselves big questions in this new context. Here's what we can all do right now. Let's each think hard about the following questions. What is the overall orientation of my life? What motivates me? What do I value? How can I use my unique talents and resources to help others and the planet? When my life review happens, what do I hope to see? When we take the time to explore these questions and act on the answers, our lives can transform. And by elevating ourselves individually, it's like the sea level of the collective rises and all boats are lifted. We should all remember, just because we can't see something with our eyes doesn't mean it's not there. Just because something is comforting doesn't mean it's not true. And just because we can't remember something doesn't mean it didn't happen. We started the show with a quote. All truth goes through three stages. First, it is ridiculed. Then it is violently opposed. Finally, it is accepted as self-evident. Have we seen enough ridicule and violent opposition yet? Are we ready to move on to acceptance? Are we ready to start looking in the telescope? Which of our mainstream scientists and institutions are going to have the courage to step up And how will each of us individually act in the world with all this knowledge to make the difference that this planet desperately needs? It's time for us to wake up. The survival of the human race might depend on it. Special thanks to all the brave scientists and practitioners who are part of this revolution in human thinking, both those who participated on this show and others who didn't. These are the Einsteins and Galileos of our era. And thanks to you, the listener, for being brave enough to look in the telescope. Thank you for listening to this season of Where's My Mind. I'm Mark Gober. Thank you for listening to Where's My Mind. The show was written by me, Mark Gober, and the show is produced at Blue Duck Media by Matt Ford and Gabe Goodwin with help from Antonio Enriquez, Zuri Irvin, and Ben Redmond. The show is edited by Andy Jaskowitz. Special thanks to Cadence 13, particularly John McDermott and Patrick Antonetti. Also thanks to Bill Gladstone and Waterside Publishing. All of my full-length interviews are available at markgober.com podcast. We'd like to thank our sponsors, and if you'd like to support the show, please consider supporting them on our behalf. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. And if you'd like, tell a friend to subscribe and spread the word. See you next time.